Well, good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study. We're grateful you can join us. We're recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. We welcome you all. And Thomas from New York City is our moderator. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our uh, Bible study. Um, I'll start out with a quote from Mary Baker Eddy. Oh, the love divine that plucks us from the human agony. Oh, the master's glory won this. Doth it dawn on you and me? And the bliss of blotted out sin and the working hitherto. Shall we share it? Do we walk in patient faith the way thereto? That's from message for 1901, um, page 35. Thank you. Thank you. Still a good message. Yeah. Cezette loved poetry. Certainly what happens in this Bible study. I love that. Patient faith. The way there too. Yes. That's the key, isn't it? I like it in the Bible where it says, no one can be plucked out of God's hand. He'll pluck us and save us, but nobody. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody been plucked lately from the human agony? <laughs> or eight, eight years ago today, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Eight years ago today. <laughs> Goodness. June 5th. And it is wonderful. That work. This work and we can share it. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. We're so glad you're here. Is that Karen? Yes. Yes. I was just <clears throat> going to comment that the work where it says, and the bliss of blotted out sin. Um, I know what that that is a wonderful feeling when you know that you don't have to hold on to guilt or any more things that you think you've done. And you there's it's just such a wonderful feeling to know that love forgives and never knows anything about sin. Or we're, we're just we're. Anyway, that's definitely bliss, that feeling of God never knew you other than his own perfect child. Thank you. Well, I think I can speak for myself, but I think it's true of everyone. We've all been plucked from agonizing circumstances. But then she asked the question, does it dawn on you and me? And... It's good to think back and remember. I mean, this is a good question for looking within. Do I remember that this has happened? Am I still grateful for it? And does the memory of it still burn alive and guide me today accordingly, according to the light therein? Good question. 
Yeah, lest we forget. What we do remember is the lessons learned and the good gained thereof, but we never never truly forget that agony we were brought out of that keeps us safe. Zazetti says when she sees a grateful student, she knows they're safe. Okay, Tom, I guess we can move on. Well, one reason I picked this was um, I thought it was a beautiful poem. And uh, I don't ever recall, I mean, maybe other Christian scientists have spent time studying this, but I don't ever remember, you know, studying this or talking about it or anything, but there's so much in these short eight lines that we can learn and beautifully written. Yeah, very true. And one of the thoughts I liked in there was, you know, shall we share it? I mean, so uh, don't keep the good hidden to yourself, so to speak. Very, very true. No, it's a very (laughs) complete, just those, as you said, eight lines. It's amazing. Well, and Mrs. Eddie was so wise in establishing the Wednesday testimony meetings, yeah. establishing the the journal and the sentinel so that these things, you know, and eventually the, the Christian Science Monitor, she covered all the bases. And that's part of what we need to do now as well. Now we've got the internet. Don't even need paper for that. That's a good point. Um, (laughs) The internet has totally transformed outreach. Um, When I think of the human agony, part of my agony was wondering before I came to Plainfield why why weren't the churches full? Why weren't the Christian Science churches full? I agonized over that, but I never left science until I found my answer, and it was through the Internet that I found Plainfield. So God bless the Internet. Um, But talk about plucking me from human agony and into the bliss of blotted-out sin sin that I wasn't clear about because we never talked about it in the Christian Science Church, but um, the Plainfield Church has just clarified uh, the Christian Science teachings in a way that I never got in any of the branch churches, so thank you. Thank you for this poem. Thank you. Beautiful, and it does capture this whole Bible study in eight lines. Good choice. Oh, thank you. I thought it tied a lot into what we're talking about today. It does. Perfect. Plucking us from human agony. Yes. Uh, Faith and faith. And remembering it. Remembering it and sharing it because she, she... she, she shared it. She told everybody about what happened. To her, the woman with the issue of blood. Otherwise, okay. 
have it today to be studying it. So, okay. So the last line where it says patient faith, um, that's obviously what's needed for our topic, right? Uh, it says here, troubled on every side, yet not distressed. So, um, I kind of like that. It's in our lesson this week. And um, don't be bothered, bothered by what you might see, right? Have patient faith. Um, Beautiful. So our Bible readings, um, there was a story in our lesson this week, and it's uh, actually um, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, and so I thought it'd be interesting to uh, uh, read this story sort of like as complete as it can be in, in the Gospel, and um, because we bring in different things like uh, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, which was not in the lesson. But we learned these little facts about it. But uh, it's the same story in all three places. Um, so our first question is, uh, Jairus, now um, there's no one can seem to agree on how to pronounce his name. So if someone has a different uh, preference, that, that's okay too, okay? So Jairus was a ruler in a synagogue in Galilee. While it is not known which synagogue, some commentators think it could have been Capernaum. Um, what is known about the synagogue in Capernaum? Well, I read from in the Reitmeier archaeological design, when Jesus moved to Capernaum after he was rejected in Nazareth, he brought hope to a part of God's land that was in desperate need of it. The dark basalt stones around the Sea of Galilee that were usually used in building were a tangible expression of the darkness felt by, quote, the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, under constant threat of, a, of invasion. Jesus' arrival right. in the city was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, quote, the people that walked in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. That's Matthew four fifteen and 16. Thank you. Hmm. Um, another thing about the, the they uh, referred to it as the Black Synagogue, speaking of the rocks that uh, Dale was just talking about that were in the area, um, there was, a, I'm not sure if it's speculation or if it's true that this may have been the place where uh, the centurion who loved Israel built a synagogue for the people, and that may have been the synagogue that the Jairus was ruler of. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, it was mentioned that all the circumstances, all the healings and everything that happened in Matthew chapter 9 happened in Capernaum. Yeah, so uh, about that, about the uh, centurion who built the synagogue in uh, Capernaum, uh, that's in uh, Luke chapter 7. 
Um, so if you look at verses one through five, um, talks about this uh, centurion. Um, and then I read a commentary and it said, uh, possibly there was more than one synagogue. So maybe he built the one that's at this site. Maybe he built another one. Another one. They're not really sure. But it does say that a uh, Roman centurion built the uh, synagogue and Capernaum, which is quite fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you also, your, the notes that you sent were, you know, that the, there was a, a synagogue on top of a synagogue, right? In the, yeah. in the original. Oh, yeah. So today, today there's a, uh, the remains of an absolutely gorgeous synagogue. Um, it's a white synagogue. It was just, I understand it was, uh, yeah, just a beautiful, beautiful synagogue. Um, I don't know if anybody looked it up, um, on the history of when they found this and all that sort of stuff. Would like well, to talk about this? I read that that was dated to fourth, the late fourth century AD. And it was a dazzling white limestone. It was built on top of the foundation of the basalt stones. Yeah, and the original synagogue underneath was actually the one where where Christ Jesus did preach and heal, and um, they don't want to tear down the one on top of it. So, but but and also Tom was telling me that that town Capernaum is also has the home of Peter, and. If we ever do take a trip to Israel together, we'll visit that city. Hmm. It'll be fascinating. It was known as it's, his own city, Capernaum, his own city, meaning Christ's own city. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, it's 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 quite awesome. So I was there. Um, so uh, the uh, the remains are they're awesome when you look at them. And then there's Peter's house, which. Uh, Apparently, they kind of turned into some sort of meeting room or church or something uh, later. Um, but those are the two main sites there, uh, Peter's house and this. Um, they debate a lot when it was built, but this fourth century synagogue. And it's, you know, overlooking the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. If any of you looked it up, the pictures of it are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Bruce and I were talking at the beginning, but in Thomas's notes, they mentioned that the ruins of the great synagogue were first identified in 1866. And Bruce was talking about, you know, what, what, you know, how many things we don't know came to light, that kind of enlightenment during where we're Mrs. Eddie. In 1866. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Their thought is elevating. And uncovered what needed to be uncovered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got some notes from Jasmine who wrote <laughs> today known as Kepharnaim, an ancient city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 1905 excavation, excavations confirmed that this place was Capernaum recognized as Jesus' second home, then part of Palestine. And it was where Peter, Andrew, and Matthew were chosen 
and was the city where many of Jesus' healing demonstrations took place. Capernaum was a city of materiality to which Jesus presented as the advocate of compassion, mercy, wisdom, and divine love. The duality between Jesus' teachings and healings became highly controversial in Galilee. So, anyway, that was interesting. Thank you for everyone who sends in <clears throat> interesting articles about whatever, the Bible study or whatever. So, okay, Thomas, any more on that? Yeah, when I was looking at the research, one of the people commented that it was in this uh, synagogue that Jesus taught how important it was to be as a child. Hmm. I thought, well, this is a significant that it fa this happened in the synagogue, which is considered a very important place. And I think that it uh, points how important it is, the message of this teaching, to be as a child, receptive to good, and wasn't just something that was just entertaining for children or whatever, but profound message for everyone. Yeah, it's a requirement to enter into the kingdom of God, to be child, childlike, not childish, but childlike. <laughs> well, and, and that makes sense because Capernaum was a fairly good-sized city in those days. I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of military had businesses and a lot of, you know, some and a certain amount of wealth was there. And uh, so there was probably quite a bit of pride in people's accomplishments. And so Jesus would have to speak to that. Yeah. So in, in a sense, uh, Capernaum became like a home for, for Jesus because we know that Nazareth uh, rejected Jesus. Um, but... Uh, um thought something interesting. There's a, a, a Mount Precipice, which is um, outside of Nazareth. So this is how much they rejected him. They wanted to take Jesus up on this mountain, throw him off. Uh, but he escaped out. And then he went to Capernaum. Wow. So, and today um, they have something called the Jesus Trail. So you can walk from Nazareth to Capernaum. I think it takes like four days. Well, Jesus told the disciples when if they reject your teaching, shake the dust off your feet and <laughs> keep going and yeah. he had done that. So yeah. And you know, that's true of today if you've ever been with a person who is very anti anti the Christ. You can feel it and you almost do feel like you need to Shake the dust off your feet. Just cleanse yourself of that thought. Very materialistic thought. And if it's really materialistic, you, you feel like you need to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, you do. Okay. All right. Um, hopefully that was interesting um, from a historical point of view. Uh, now to dig into the story. So uh, question number two. Who touched me? How was the touch of the woman different than the multitude that pressed Jesus? So we can find this in Luke 8, 
uh, verse 45, and Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? This is Eddie has two references, one in uh, Unity of Good, where uh, she says, when Jesus turned and said, who hath touched me, he must have felt the influence of the woman's thought. For it is written that he felt that virtue had gone out of him. His pure consciousness was discriminating and rendered this infallible verdict. But he neither held her error by affinity nor by infirmity, for it was detected and dismissed. And then in regards to the, the um, in science and health, she says the multitude, throng- oh, um, Jesus once asked, who touched me? Supposing this inquiry to be occasioned by physical contact alone, the disciples answered, the multitude thronged me. Jesus knew as others did not, but it was not matter, but mortal mind whose touch called for aid. Repeating his inquiry, he was answered by the faith of a sick woman. His quick apprehension of this mental call illustrated his spirituality. The disciples' misconception of it uncovered their materiality. Thank Thank you. you. I think that's the answer to the question, right? Yes. This talks about reading thought. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was very. The woman was reaching out to the Christ, the healing Christ. She was, you know, she was desperate, and she recognized Jesus not as a person, but as the healing truth that would help her. Whereas I think the multitude were probably reaching out to him, almost in an idol worship sense. They saw. Jesus as a person, and that's what the difference was. Yeah, I felt that um, he had to make a distinction. It wasn't a faith carry. He couldn't just take his his <laughs> yeah. coat and put it somewhere and have some people come and touch it, and then right. they'll be healed kind of a thing. <laughs> it's, it's important that the right, the right cause is acknowledged. Yeah, now her touch was a deep cry for help. Yeah. And a strong faith that it was there. Yeah. Whereas the multitude, you know, were still in the human mind. They were curious. Yeah, but they um but the women who touched him touched him with a, a, a huge a, a strong faith that there was something very special. And she had been to many physicians, and so she had given up to that extent. And when she saw Jesus, she just knew to just touch him. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes in all, all other help has failed you but then you're ready and receptive which is what 
yeah, fairly is saying. It, it implies she was wealthy. I mean, she'd gone to all kinds of doctors. I think it was also important that Jesus, despite the fact that he was going to um, Jairus' daughter was, you know, on the point of death, he stopped to turn and and um, not only revealed to her, but everyone else that it wasn't just the touch of the garment, his garment that healed her, it was her faith. And uh, he had to, he pointed that out for everybody around to see that that's what healed her. It wasn't the physical touch. Good point. He was always teaching, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. So he perhaps was teaching what the other people were thinking or maybe not thinking, right? Yeah. But they didn't have the same faith. Mm -hmm. Also, he felt her heart a bit like when Mary Magdalene um, washed her, washed his feet with her tears. Yeah. 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 She was considered unclean by the Jewish people of that time. And Jesus didn't accept that. He, he knew, he, he accepted her faith. Thank you. Yeah, the article, the woman who touched the hem of his garment, which was a lot of interesting points. And one, it goes with what Fairley said, and, and it also goes with the poem from the from the human agony, because her condition, first it said she was so, in such great need. She It was debilitating, um, this idea, because, you know, if you were bleeding in ancient Israel, what did that mean? Unclean. You were unclean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she he, couldn't go to the synagogue or she, anything. No, she couldn't go any place. Yeah, so she came out to find Jesus. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. You you weren't she allowed. Wasn't even, she wasn't even supposed to be touched. No. Nobody she, was to touch her and not and, and she was and yet she went through a crowd, but she wasn't to be touched by anybody. That's exactly right. That's how great that need was. Yes. She couldn't even be touched in those Jewish laws. And it had been a long-lasting problem. How many? Twelve years. Twelve years. She was in another interesting point of this whole thing. She was 12 years, in one commentary, she was 12 years dying. And yet the girl, that the the daughter of Jairus was 12 years living, she said. said, So the 12 years was sort of significant there, too. Yeah, thank you. And maybe Jairus needed, you know, he he was probably he, he, the, the seeing the faith and what her faith did for her. Um, <clears throat> it must have done something to to um, encourage Jairus um, because when he said when it was told that his daughter was don't bother his daughter's dead, he still had the faith. So that whole picture must have helped. Him too. Yes. Um, one of the other things that Jesus did with this woman was he brought her, she was kind of hiding and trying to touch him from behind, 
and he brought her out in front and had her acknowledge what had happened and expose that error of her being unclean as not being unclean, but what the child got. Yes. I think also her, her deep, deep faith is shown here where she says if she could just touch the hem of the garment, she wasn't reaching to, you know, embrace him or anything like that, but the, it's a, a sense of a deep desperation reaching for the power of the truth in the Christ consciousness is what I get. Yeah, and, and great, great humility, great humility just touching that hem of the garment. So, yes, yeah, so she had a long-lasting problem. She was impoverished, as Fairley was talking about. She had spent all she had trying to find a solution. So then it, um, she'd come to the end of her resources, and then it was probably incurable because it says, this guy says Dr. Luke, that's how he refers to that. <laughs> Dr. Luke said she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She'd been, um, yes. So, I, and I bring all this out because I know there are people out there, people listening who have who have had just, well, terrible situation, maybe that's lasted a long time. And, and I just say this to give all those people hope because this was a terrible situation. And that's why that poem is so beautiful. Um, oh, the love divine that plucks us from the human agony, because the human is agonizing, isn't it? All of it. Even when people seem to be enjoying it, uh, I, I, there's no real pleasure to it. It's agonizing, and it will always come to that. As we've said here, we were taught here, the human mind is a killer. It always results in, in this sort of a thing. So, yeah, she came in great need, with great humility, with great intent intent wasn't some idle desire it was an intent that she be healed and it was strong and jesus was able to feel it it said the effectual touch there were many in the crowd around jesus who made outward contact without the effectual touch a large crowd followed and pressed around him we can imagine how Jesus' progress was slow in the narrow streets by the crush of the people around him. Jesus is subject to many ineffectual touches, the casual touch, the curious touch, the unintended touch, the professional touch, the critical touch, and the compulsory touch, to name but a few. So let us examine the characteristics of the effectual touch. And it says first it was an intentional no one is saved unintentionally. There has to be intent. We must reach out to him, call out to him, ask him for help, cry to him for salvation. And then sincere. Um, she was making all that she touched, including Jesus, unclean, but she didn't care, as, as Karen was talking about. Humble. It never ceases to amaze me that so many are saved through doing so little by just crying out, help me, Jesus, save me, Jesus. And then um, 
a product of limited knowledge. She didn't know she didn't know a lot about anything really. All she said, if I just touch his clothes, right? She didn't okay. say I've been reading the Bible for years and this is what's supposed to happen. She said, All I have to do is touch his clothes. She said, Many folks have experienced Christ's saving power who knew very little about him. I have heard testimonies where a person has reached out to Jesus knowing barely more than his willingness to help people who have made a mess of their lives. I heard a young man give his testimony recently who cried out to Jesus in a dark place because he recalled what his Christian headmaster in school had told him. If you are ever in trouble, remember Jesus is there to help you. So that was the touch. And that is what our touch must be. And there was a, also a beautiful article by Spurgeon who, who says, who says we can't do this now? <laughs> who says we can't reach out to Jesus now? And that he said, even, even now, Jesus is, it's Christ Jesus. It's more powerful. He has experienced the resurrection, right? <laughs> so, to reach out, but in, in this manner. And just, Jesus said, I will be with you always. Yes. Even unto the end of the world. And whenever he referred to himself that way, he, always, he was always speaking as the Christ, not the human person. Jesus, yes. Uh, it is the intent, though. Uh, it's beautiful. The intent is coupled with expectation, which, of course, speaks to their faith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and the the root of the word agony is to strive in the Greek, and so I think a lot of people would just give up and say, "Okay, there's nothing I can do." But um, this agony does show that there's this underlying faith that I'm not going to give up. I'm going to find an answer. That's kind of how people do find the Christ, is that they know their spiritual sense is telling them there is something there, and they keep striving to find the answer, and then they discover the Christ. Thank you, yes. Yes, Virgin said. I found it. Oh. Such, such I a, also found it in... No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I... I found it also interesting that when she, when he said your faith has healed you, he said daughter, your yes. faith has healed you, and it's the only time he's ever he ever said that. And being uh, I, the, the daughter that he's going to follow, J. Iris is his daughter is dying, and and so I thought the word daughter, you know, we're daughter of the king, we're daughters of sons and daughters of God. I just I thought that was. Uh, I like how that the, the significance there of the two daughters, but the words there's only one daughter, and that's the daughter of the king. Yes, and it also expresses the compassion that he had for her, doesn't it? Yeah, to think of her as a daughter. That was the love that poured forth. So Spurgeon says, "Such a touch as hers may be given to Jesus at this good hour." We cannot by our finger literally touch his mantle, but there is a spiritual touch that can still be given to Christ, which will draw virtue out of him, so that all our spiritual diseases shall straightway be healed. 
This contact is not always described in the scripture as a touch. Sometimes it is represented as hearing. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. Sometimes this contact is described as being formed by a look. This is the favorite symbol. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And then, um, oh, you say, but I do not know how to get into contact with the Savior. The best way, the only way is believing in him. If you tonight say in your heart, I trust Christ to save me. There is immediately a contact between you and Christ of the right kind. You are turning, you are trusting one, and he is the person trusted in. There is a point of union between you and Christ, and this will save you. If your faith is only as a grain of a mustard seed, if it is genuine faith, it shall work in you the cure of your soul's disease, and you shall live unto righteousness. So I just think that's so beautiful. It doesn't matter what agony you're in. And if all else is, has failed you, there's recourse always, always there for you. And it does work as was proven and is still being proven. It also, in that other article, um, it, it made a point of saying the required confession. I wish to make four points about the request of Jesus. And it was first embarrassing for the woman. The woman had to tell him the whole truth. It, you know, I know Florence knows this in the practice. You have to be honest. You have to be willing to confess what's wrong and what you've been through. You have to lay it all out on the table. You don't go over it and over and over it, but at first you have to have that embarrassment that this is what's been going on. You can't be so proud. The woman told him the whole truth. That was in Mark. And then pressing said, who touched my clothes? Um, he, he felt that pressing urgency. It was pressing. It wasn't just casual and daunting. He, he, the woman came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, telling him the whole truth. And necessary. Um, Jesus' request was necessary. It gave the woman an opportunity to, to obey. Mm -hmm. She could have made many excuses for continuing on her way. She could have said, I'm a very insignificant person, and my confession is neither here nor there. People will see I'm a changed woman, so there's no need to tell anyone about it. I've been healed whether I make a confession or not. That is all that matters. But it was vitally important that the woman obeyed Jesus, because in so doing, she was not only affirming that he was her Savior, but also her Lord. And then she gave the acknowledgement of what Jesus had done. Jesus gave the opportunity to give him the glory. It was a witness to others. And, and then he says, Christian, if you have not borne witness to the saving power of Jesus, you should. And it talks about the many blessings that come from testifying. And all of us sit here at the table know this, where before you were the most timid person in the world and you couldn't even speak a peep. Once you begin to get up in church and testify to the healing power of the Christ, a change comes over you. 
and you began to be able to speak in the marketplaces or other places. Is that not true? Yes. It is true. It releases your tongue. I thought all of this is so well spoken in this one story. And it was so described in that one poem because it says too, shall we share it? As Tom brought out, shall we share it? Yes. All of these things were required of this woman in this simple story. And I never thought about it so deeply. <laughs> Quite and, wonderful. And Jesus even had to, had to instruct his own disciples about this point, didn't he? Yes. He said, you're going to come before kings and, you know, councils. And don't, be, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. God will give you the words when they're needed. So just don't. Don't, don't shy away from testifying. The more you share it, the more your faith in what had happened, what has happened, I feel. It, yes, it increases. It increases. And it, it, it also gets into your memory, so you'll never forget it. You know how, even if you read something, if you share it with someone right away, don't you remember it a lot better than if you don't? Yes. Sure. Sharing, share it, give it. It's, it's a wonderful power. Why? Because of your obedience, your obedience to God. It unlooses your tongue. You look forward to taking that crowbar of science and <laughs> uncovering more. <laughs> so. well, and, 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 the, and the reason it's obedience is because it's done out of love. When you have something good to share and you love someone enough to share it with them, you have obeyed God. If you don't have enough love to share it, then you have disobeyed. And when you share something, you have enough confidence in it to share it. And I, I found that that really helps uh, to, to be able to stand and say, for example, when I wasn't so sure of myself as a Christian scientist, I would never tell anybody I was a Christian scientist. But as time goes on and I feel more confident true this is the truth then the sharing is uh you know no hesitation yes also the point about the king's daughter <clears throat> i mean the way he called her daughter uh, we see in psalm forty-five thirteen, where it says the king's daughter is all glorious within which is one of the truths we've been using here for some time thank you yes and that was when Mrs. Evans would give us with, with menstrual problems. And here, this was the issue of, of blood here. So that's beautiful. Thank you, Florence. All of these little things are not insignificant at all. They're all so important. I was thinking the daughter thing is like telling her, not, not only are you healed and not only are you clean, but you're, you're just pure again. So. Yes, pure. That was it. It was the mental. And even when Spurgeon, when I read in Spurgeon, it was this healed of spiritual disease. I, what is that? Well, it's the, <laughs> the, the sin. The sin, the, mor the mortal beliefs. The mortal beliefs that you're hanging on to that are obscuring your perfection. Because it's always there. I think so. Maybe we'll continue I on with. Wait, wait. Linda had something. Oh. Go ahead. 
I have something from Precepts 1 I wanted to share uh, from Carpenter because he does such a beautiful job. And it's more from, I think, thinking about how Mrs. Uh, Jesus felt the thought. And it's, and it's, quote, there was one thing Mrs. Eddy had which they lacked. And she's talking about her students. This was responsible for their inability to follow her to any considerable degree. They did not have the same love for humanity that she did. They did not have the cry of the sick, the sorrowing, and the sinner in their ears all the time as she did. While she realized that she had the remedy with which to help them, she constantly heard the cry of the poor, the sick, the unhappy, the sinner, and out of the wealth and overflow of her demonstrations, she ceaselessly fed them, as Joseph, when he was the custodian of the grain, which he had gathered during the seven years of plenty in Egypt fed the nations who were starving during the seven years of famine. This was the reason for Mrs. Eddy's growth. Students today do not grow faster because out of their abundance of spiritual good, they do not realize that much of what they have been given them was for the purpose of sharing, not withholding. Lack of giving will always stullify growth. But I just that was That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I love that. Yes. Very good. Yes. <clears throat> So true, and that's a basic principle we've learned here. You can't just take this for yourself. It's all about um, shall we share it, as the poem said. Yes, we shall. Oh, who else was trying to? Karen or someone? Well, there's one more point I wanted, I thought was interesting too or important here is that despite the fact that everybody around sees these people, the issue of blood is unclean she was worthy she felt a worthiness she was of of being healed so she had to have some sense of of that before she could be uh before the healing too was her sense of worthiness to be healed thank you yes Mm -hmm. many people say they don't feel worthy you're a child of god so you have to get past that and know you are worthy and you are loved and an article carrie had sent too is about i think called along the way or something but it brings out the fact that jesus did all these healings you know he's just travel walking walking from one place to the next and it's on the way he was always ready to meet that need and the call is as was read by linda about mrs eddie and we should be too if the call comes wherever we are in the grocery store or on the train or Wherever we are, are we ready to meet the call? Are you hearing that voice? Are you too busy with your own plans of the day? Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Thomas. All right, so question three. Weep not. What can be learned from what Jesus said when he arrived at Jairus' house and after Jairus' daughter was healed? Weep not. <clears throat> well, when he got there, he found a whole bunch of people in mourning. Well, Jesus knew the healing would take place. So do not weep. <laughs> yes, confidence. <laughs> Well, I think it also addresses the sincerity of the weeping because 
He says, weep not, she's not dead, but is asleep. And then they laughed him. So in one statement, they went from weeping to laughing, which makes you wonder what was the mental state that was going on there. Well, I think that was the point. The what was that, Florence? No, I said both are on the side of error. First, they're, they're over there weeping, you know, believing that she's dead, and then now, laugh, you know, laughing him to scorn, you know, disbelieving what, what he's about to do. So it's both on the, on the same wrong side. Yeah. The, the, um, those people in the Valley of Ono laughed at Nehemiah to scorn, too. I thought that was interesting, the same words. <laughs> That's why we must never feel dismayed if, we, if we're if we laughed at or scorned, okay? We're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, you know, when people weep, when someone passes on, who's the weeping for? Exactly. The yeah, they're feeling sorry for themselves because they've believed that they've actually lost something. They've, they've believed that somebody could actually die. All of which, all of which is wrong. Mm-hmm. False beliefs, mortal thinking. I guess it would be the same as if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, gave you some... <laughs> some verdict and you started to weep uh, we, we are learning or we've learned here what do we do when error is presented uh, we, uh, weep not reject the error thank First. you right. thank you yeah yeah rise in rebellion rise <laughs> in rebellion against it yeah. blot out the images all that 390 to 393 you've got to do it and be consistent putting it down those thoughts yeah because what is the what is what is the healing anyway it's rising up out of this darn mortal dream in the first place right yes the confident knowing the no god didn't say it god didn't give it i can't have it and that that is what heals because that is what clears the vision Weeping, being depressed never helps, does it? If it? Like I've said, if it would help you, go ahead and do it, but it, it doesn't help you. And there's always something to be grateful for. Try to hang on to your, what you're grateful for so you are not mesmerized and hypnotized by that picture. Um, pull yourself out of the hole. Sing a hymn, say a song. Say a psalm, yes. Do something. Or as Big Del Young says, when you're at the end of the rope, tie a knot and hang on. <laughs> but don't give in to it. Do the best you can. One step enough for me. One step. Just one step. One right thought. Um, Bob, a while ago, Parthens had sent, uh, this was from 2017, a uh, some thoughts of Mrs. Eddie regarding raising the dead. And one that is so beautiful 
and it's in the people's idea of good on page eight. Um, Mrs. Eddy, mind is supreme, and yet we make more of matter and lean upon it for health and life. Mind that governs the universe governs every action of the body as directly as it moves a planet and controls the muscles of the arm. And then this, God grant that the trembling cords of human hope shall again be swept by the divine Talitha Kumai. Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Then shall Christian science again appear to light our sepulchres with immortality. It's very beautiful. You should study it. And it goes with this story. And he writes a few other things about, you know, what Mrs. Eddy says about raising the dead. This is from um, Collectania. The only trouble is we limit God's power. We could even raise the dead from the grave if we did not limit him. Raise it from the dead, from the grave. <laughs> so, and then Mrs. Eddy said that a wordless flood of life filled her consciousness and the girl was raised from the dead. And that's from reports of Mrs. Eddy's healing work compiled by Arthur Fosbury, an early Christian scientist. A wordless flood of life filled her consciousness. And again, God grant that the trembling cords of human hope shall again be swept by the divine Talitha Kumai. Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Then shall Christian science again appear to light our sepulchres with immortality. The beautiful statement, weep not, and then damsel, arise. And both instances bring out Christ Jesus, bringing out despairing thought, human agony. Oh, the love divine that plucks us from the human agony. It's what the Christ does and is still doing. Karen? Well, I looked up that that uh, meaning of Talitha Kumi, and it said it's a wonderful Talitha is a term of endearment. It is etymologically related to a word that can also mean lamb. So Jesus' term use of this term, coupled with his taking the little girl by the hand, provides an image of compassion and gentleness. The good shepherd is lovingly gathering the lambs in his arms. My little lamb, he says to her, as he restores her life, it's time to get up. That's beautiful. <laughs> put, that on the, put that on the forum, Karen. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, and I also, that I've been working a lot with this passage in Science and Health, but where Mrs. Eddy says, when we come to have more faith, and, and somewhere I read that this was uh, one of, if not her favorite passage in Science and Health, 
When we come to have more faith in the truth of being than we have in error, more faith in spirit than in matter, more faith in living than in dying, more faith in God than in man, then no material suppositions can prevent us from healing the sick and destroying error. That's on page 368, Science and Health. That's a good one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, where is our faith? What do we have faith in? It comes down, it boils down to that simple question. You either have faith in one or the other, right? Yeah. Where your treasure is, there, there's your heart also. Yes. Well, that's just it. We all have faith in something. Mm-hmm. But that's just it. Like um, when we say, well, it doesn't depend on how much you've read or how many more you're going to read or what you know and all this, but the simple faith. This is this is this is what's healing many people who probably never even read as much as we've done. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's so true. Yep. And people wonder, and sometimes in a in not a nice, very way. Well, they're not even Christian scientists, and they're having healings. Well, that's so <laughs> so well, awful. I know. I know. When what kind of unloving thought is that? They should be rejoicing. <laughs> yes. But they, they do trust when they're told that they're made in the image and likeness of God, and hold on to that. They do. Well, that's mm-hmm. true. Maybe in essence, the one who was labeled not a scientist was really more of a scientist than the one that Thank did the you. accusations. Absolutely true. Naturally. <laughs> Natural Christian scientist. Like so the, true. That parable of the the man that had workers in his garden and the ones that came late still got a penny. Oh, yeah. They all paid the same, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to expect that the healing is going to happen. You can't just sit back and you have to expect it and know. Very true. Your expectancy must be from the Lord. That was one of my first lessons when I came to this church because I don't think I was expecting healing. Mrs. Evans smacked me around over that one. Where's your expectancy? Do you expect God to heal you or not? You're just expecting this to go on and on and on. And the Master's glory won this. Thank you. Uh-huh. The Master's glory won this. Doth it dawn on you and me? Well, and that's what the uh, the, uh, the the dream that uh, Peter had uh, about um, you know the eating the unclean meat mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. but he he realized that well wait a minute the gentiles have every right to to, to this truth as do the jews mm-hmm. <laughs> so those who have never heard of christian science have the same right to god as as anyone who claims to be a christian scientist well we're all god's children yeah, yeah exactly Sure are. Exactly. Bruce, you want to say something? No, that was it. You guys did great. Thank you. (laughs) Anybody else, Thomas? 
Yeah, I think there's one important point we should bring up is that after she, the girl was healed, um, Jesus uh, said to uh, feed her meat. Yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't want um, people, I guess, to think that she was some spiritual apparition or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, she truly was healed. And, uh, yeah, and maybe there's other thoughts on it. But, and she was hungry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Jesus ate with his disciples after he appeared to them and walked through the wall. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Showed everything was in operating order. It didn't take time. It didn't take a lot of time for all that to heal up. It was all working. The organs under God's control. <laughs> and nothing ever changes really in our spiritual individuality. Always the perfection always maintained and sustained by the divine. Yeah. That's a great point. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, so um he's really just telling her go back to your normal human life that you've been living, right? We eat, we sleep, right? We work. Uh... But with a greater understanding of what life is all about. Right. And a greater sense of gratitude for what God is and what he does for us. Yeah. And if we don't have that, we truly have not been healed. That's mm -hmm. very important. Don't go back to your ways. If it doesn't dawn on you, you haven't been made whole. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel to me like it's might be best to come to Christian Science as though your back's against the wall and there is no <laughs> there's no other <laughs> path to go on. And those are two examples. <laughs> Well, I think that's what the last question's about. At least that's what I was thinking of. When you look at both of them, uh, these these were both impossible situations, frankly. I mean, Humanly. how more difficult could they be? 12 years? I mean, the girl had died. I mean, uh, and, and Jesus wasn't actually rushing to the little girl, right? So uh, these were impossible situations. Yes. Yeah, both both had to show um, bold faith, as this commentary. Um, both Jay Iris and the woman with the issue of blood sh both showed bold faith and disregarded the pressures of the crowd in favor of looking to Jesus. So one one crowd was thinking she was unclean and pushing, and one, and the other was laughing. So they both had to look past that and just look to Jesus. You know, that just uh, had, have to have that faith despite what was going on around them. Just disregard all that and just have faith in us. You know, that, yeah. that, what? Because what was going on around them was the mortal belief prevalent mortal belief that these were impossible situations even his disciples thought that this was an impossible situation each one 
And in those instances, Karen, Karen's point was that it's very distracting. You could easily just be taken off and distracted by all this, but they weren't. They stayed focused. It's very important for healing and also to, to be the healer, the one that's being used by God, to, that you stay focused and don't get distracted by all this fault or all that's going on around you, because there will be. Really impressed with the spiritual sense. You know, Jesus is our way shower, his spiritual sense who saw things that nobody else could. The woman reaching out and just touching his garment, or that the girl was really alive. He was not she was not dead, as he said. So he does the same on his way to Lazarus. I mean, he just doesn't what death, right? Like, no. And he, he didn't run there. He wasn't pressured to go or, oh, my gosh, I got to get there. You know, he took his time. He waited around for a couple of days before he left. Yeah. Yeah. That's how sure he was of God. He probably only went quicker because Jairus was with him, actually. Probably. Well, this has been wonderful, Tom. Thank you. Just a beautiful lesson. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. 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 Thank you.